All right, well, welcome. Tonight's topic is communication. And I'm sure you've heard the famous saying, you know, as California goes, so goes the nation, right? That idea, as one part of a nation goes, so goes the entire thing. Well, as communication goes, so goes the relationship. That's just the way it is. True for marriages, true for parents with children, true for church families, true for sports teams, true for classrooms, true for workplaces. It's true all across the board. Wherever we have to work alongside other people, communication is the bedrock of society. So if we don't do communication well, we will not do society or culture very well either. For vertical relationships, communication must be learned from God himself, and we're going to see why in a few minutes. And I'm going to make an observation immediately, and that is that uh, as a culture loses their understanding of God, they also lose their ability to communicate with each other. Does that ring true in our culture? I think we'll see that as we go through this. I'm going to try and prove that in a little bit. Every other aspect of your relationship, whether it's as husband and wife or as parent with child, it hinges on the effectiveness of how you communicate. So before we get into Scripture, we're just going to ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, we're thankful again for bringing us back together again we know that this subject is really, really uh, heavy on your heart. It's one that you have a passion for. You are a God who has revealed yourself through word. You have communicated to us. And we're thankful, Lord, that that is an attribute of who you are. And Lord, as we come together tonight, people that want to reflect who you are and glorify you, in relationships, Lord, we know that we have to learn how to communicate the way that you do. So help us, Lord, to face the challenges tonight, face the little uh, issues that spoil the way we communicate, the way we speak and listen. And Lord, we just ask that you will convict us, correct us, and encourage us tonight for your glory and for the benefit of others around us and for the benefit of ourselves in our relationships, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are immediately going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, understanding that the Apostle Paul was speaking into a fighting church. And they had a lot of issues going on. They were a dysfunctional family, if there ever was one. And one of the of course, most famous poetic portions of 1 Corinthians is obviously 1 Corinthians 13. It's read a lot at weddings, and uh, it's used a lot in a way to kind of melt people's hearts and so on. And we don't really understand that Paul was writing this in the context of war, basically, internal strife, conflict. And he said, love is patient, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All right, what are we going to do with this text? Well, I have a good idea. Let's first of all replace the word love with the name Jesus. Okay. Let's see how this works. Do you think Jesus reaches this standard of love? Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. True statement? I think for the most part we would all agree that yes, that is true. Jesus is God. This is a definition of God's love. This is who God is. That's step one. You know what we're going to do next, don't you? We're going to remove the name Jesus. We're going to leave that blank. And we're going to ask each of you where you're sitting, don't poke your wife, okay? This is not for your husband. This is for you. Fill in the blank with your name. And let's read it again. Andrew is patient and kind. Andrew does not envy or boast. Why is my wife laughing back there? Truth is, if we want to prove the fact that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul said in Romans, it's pretty clear we have, isn't it? Just put your name here. Are you patient and kind? Do you ever envy or boast? Not arrogant or rude? Don't insist on your own way? You're not irritable or resentful? Do you have kids? You ever driven down a road? (laughs) Had anyone cut you off? We all fall short, clearly. And that's why we need the gospel. And so we have a lot of work to do. Even in our marriages, I think if we were to test our husband or our wife or our kids and were to ask them, how much of this statement is true? How much of this statement is false? How much of this have I fallen short of? And they were able to honestly respond to that. I think we already know what they would say or they ha- how they would respond. So that's where we are, and that's where we're, what we're up against. We've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of God's righteous standard. There's no arguing this. And all the way through Scripture, Scripture repeatedly brings us to the same conclusion. We have fallen short of God's standard. God is love. You're not. So we're living in a culture of, again, people, society of people that are running around trying to prove, no, I'm really loving. God is the one who's not loving. He's the one who's judgmental and not accepting of people. I'm loving. Are you patient and kind? Even with people who don't always agree with you? Not envious or boastful and so on? No, we're all guilty. God is the only one who fills this perfect definition of love. He's the only one, and that's where we're at. And maybe you'll never read 1 Corinthians 13 the same again, because you'll always see your name there, and you'll always know, I need the grace of God in my life, and I'm so thankful that Jesus took my place and died my death for me. 
and now gives me the power to live in a whole new way. And that's why we can keep moving tonight. We start with this. We don't end with this. We're not ending with hopeless news. We start here. We say, you know what? There is, there is hope and power in Jesus Christ. And if it weren't for that, we have nothing to be here for. We have no reason to be here. It would be hopeless. So let's move on. What we're going to do at this point is we're going to define communication. And the first thing we're going to notice about communication is its priority to God. I've kind of alluded to that already. But listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a story. It's a story that God authored. He, he brought it to pass all through history. This is why I believe in the absolute sovereignty of God over all of history. It's not out of his control right now. He's not playing chess with a whole bunch of little human beings running around the world trying to make their point in history. He's not doing that. He sovereignly, he sovereignly wrote the story of his good news. He revealed himself to us in history. It's immeasurable. It's awesome. He has made himself known to the people that he created so that we would respond in worship. That's what he's done. First of all, he created the world with his word. His word. He communicated, said, let there be light. And you know what the light did not do? The light did not question and wonder what he meant by let there be light. Let there be light, and there was light. The light wasn't scratching its head going, now I wonder what he means by light. What color does he want? What order does he want the spectrum to be in? Right? There was no challenging. The elements are not challenging the creator. No, only human beings have achieved that. Everything else in the created world, apart from the fact we broke it in our rebellion, everything else in the created world follows its creator. Even though it has been damaged as a result of our sin. Not only that, God calls okay, into the world. He, he is working through Adam and Eve and then Seth and then, or Abel and then Seth and Noah and so on. And eventually he calls a man named Abram to follow him. What does he use? Again, he reveals himself by his words. He calls to Abram and says, go from your country, Genesis 12, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that has come to pass. Through Abraham, we got Jesus. And through Jesus, all the nations of the earth are blessed. As a result, salvation goes out to everyone. It all started with God's word. Exodus 20, God communicates his moral law to his people who he redeemed out of Egypt. Again, God spoke all these words, he revealed his moral standards to us. He communicated it. And unlike the light, we decided to question him. What does he mean by this? What does he mean by that? Surely he can't mean this. And so on. God revealed his moral law through word. God sends prophets as his messengers. And Isaiah speaks and laments and says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, what he has heard, our words, what we're speaking for God. Who has believed it? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, God became vulnerable, reveals his arm to people, and people just kind of shrug their shoulders and move on and say, so, 
we're not overly interested in what God has to say. Yet God sent prophets as his messengers to communicate. Then he sends Jesus, the living word, the exact imprint of who God is. You want to know who God is? Watch Jesus. You want to know who God is? Just follow Jesus through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. And you will have an exact understanding of who God is and what he is like. And John tells us in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the, what did he call Jesus? The Word. The Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What does John want us to know about Jesus? He wants us to know that through Jesus, God is communicating exactly who he is. Again, it's his word. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. None of you here tonight are actually saved unless you have heard and understood and accepted the word of God. That you've fallen short of God's standard in your sin and that Jesus Christ is the only one who could save you and you need to repent and believe in him. Put your faith in him. Paul says the only way that happens is if you hear, really hear, deep into your heart, hear what God's saying to you. You're not saved without that. And then, Paul tells us again in 2 Timothy 3 that the Bible provides all the communication we need to live according to God's will. Now, it's not exhaustive. It doesn't tell us everything about biology and chemistry and so on. We can look at a created world and we can observe and we can follow scientific uh, procedures and figure that out. But no, he says all scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, it's the very breath of God. God spoke it and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Communication is a gospel reality. It reminds us that we are not alone in this world. Could you imagine a world where God is not speaking into it? Where it's just this empty, dark tunnel. And no one is out there that cares. And when we pray, you notice people today will say things, instead of saying, I'm praying for you, they'll say, I'm sending positive thoughts your way. Well, that's such a hopeless statement. What are your positive thoughts going to do for me? Unless someone is out there who's listening to your words, listening to your cries, listening to your pleas for help, none of that matters. Doesn't matter what you're thinking. It's just poof, there and it's gone. Doesn't mean anything. We're in a dark, lonely tunnel. Good communication is in a vertical marriage reflects this aspect. It does. Good communication in a family environment with kids reflects this aspect of the gospel. We don't have good news unless God speaks to us. And we don't have good news unless God listens to us. So, communication is essential to life in a created world. It's essential to your marriage. It's essential to your parenting. It's essential to every relationship you have. problem is we're not all that great at it. And there are a number of reasons. We saw that already in 1 Corinthians 13 when we try to put our name in the place of love. Like, yeah, I'm not all that great at this. Got a long ways to go. 
So what I want to do is I want to, again, now just define, go a little bit farther and kind of pick apart what actually is communication. What is it? And hopefully this helps us to understand what's happening in our relationships when we start going around and around cycles and we never seem to get out of them. We just continually spiral. Well, here we go, the communication cycle. It starts like this. One person, I chose the man because in Scripture, the man is the leader of the home, the leader of his marriage. I chose the man. He's going to initiate this conversation. And he's going to send a message of one kind or another. Now, there's a few things we need to understand about this message. The first one being that it has to be clear. His goal is clarity. And when he sends this message with his words, that what he's saying is actually what he means. Now, there's more than just words involved. There's also the nonverbal aspects of this, right? How he's folding his hands, how he's standing or sitting, how he's using his eyes, what his face looks like, the tone of his voice. All of that is communicating something. Because you can say things to your kids one way, hey, uh, could, you, uh, could you pick up that pencil? But if it's the fourth time you're saying it, you're saying, pick up the pencil. Makes a difference, doesn't it? A little bit of a difference. And as this message is landing at its required destination, the individual on the other end who's going to be receiving this message has the goal of interpreting it correctly. Now, notice there's a lot of links in the chain, and anywhere along this chain, something could go very wrong. And something usually does go very wrong. And all of us know this, we're kind of smiling, I can see it on your face, you're like, yep, happened about an hour ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was on the interpreting end of that, and I totally missed it, didn't get it. You know, I thought it, I thought it was worse than it was, um, and so on, right? And of course, now, your wife, uh, she has a job to do, because the communication cycle is not over. She needs to respond, right? She is going to send a message back, and that message is going to be determined by, again, your clarity, and your verbal and nonverbal communication, and how she interpreted that message, right? And she's now going to respond. Now, how she responds is not excused by how you sent the message, and vice versa. Scripture does not give us excuses to say, well, because he yelled at me, I, w I, was, uh, I was validated for throwing the chair back at him. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says to love your enemies, turn the other cheek. So, responding requires clarity of its own and a little bit of wisdom. Again, Proverbs tell us a soft answer turns away wrath. And of course, that response is going to have verbal and nonverbal uh, elements to it. And there's going to be interpretation as that response is received. And guess what? It doesn't stop there, does it? Now, the man has a responsibility to send another message based on her response, and around and around the circle we go. Now, there's a few things we've noted already, and I just want to highlight them. First of all, communication is more than just sending messages. It's about receiving messages, too. 
Communication is not only about being a good speaker of your messages, but also being a good listener. And if I were to choose between the two, which one should we work on more than the other, I would say we need to learn how to listen more than we do on how to speak. Now, Proverbs 18.2 tells us that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Not only that, another thing to highlight is the fact that communication involves both verbal and nonverbal. Proverbs 10.10 tells us that whoever winks the eye, I think I could probably apply that and change it just a little bit to say maybe whoever rolls the eye, right, causes trouble. And the babbling fool will come to ruin. So it's not just about what we say with our mouths, it's about what we express with our bodies as well, verbal and nonverbal. Again, we want to highlight that communication involves both initiating and responding in conversation, and there's so much that goes into both of those elements. How do I bring up a subject? How do I do that effectively? How do I do do that in a way that doesn't ignite a fight right away? And how do I respond if someone didn't bring up the subject in quite the right way? In Proverbs 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. We need to listen and take it in. Now, manners of communication are influenced by the fact that both of these people have baggage. They've brought the baggage into the relationship with them. And from all the environments they've come through, they've walked through, whether it's their school environment, their home environment, their work environment, every part of that environment, their culture, their country, their language, all of it affects the way we interpret messages with our ears and with our minds and with our hearts. There might be trigger words that we hear that just set us off, not because the individual meant something wrong or bad, but because we have a whole history of hearing that word that was really bad. And the moment we hear it, it just sets us off. Now, this baggage can be from natural things. It can be from broken things. Psalm 139, David reminds us that God is the one who formed my inward parts. He says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and none of us are made the same. We're not cookie cutter. We're all different in one way or the other, different personalities and so on. And so, out of these bags come things like gender or family tree or culture, maturity, stress. Maybe that's what the guy has in his bag. Maybe he's come home from work and it's been a rough day. And maybe the wife doesn't know that, and before she finds out, she's dropping a bomb on him that he wasn't expecting. And he blows up, and she wonders why he blows up. It's probably because he doesn't love me anymore. And the world is ending. The sky is falling. And meanwhile, what it is is he's got a lot of stress in his bag. And he hasn't been able to even communicate that yet. And maybe on her side, again, gender (laughs) makes a difference personality, language, maybe she's got some abuse in her past, maybe a little bit of neglect, maybe her work, maybe the way, her environment, where she works, what type of job she has, maybe she's a lawyer. (laughs) Careful, 
Careful what you say. You get the idea. Well, here's the thing. There's two elements to both of these. And the fact is that inside this baggage, and it's hard to untangle, is the fact that both of these people are created by God and broken at the same time. That's, again, why Scripture just gives witness to reality. When you go back to the beginning, you look out in the world, you'd say, just like if I walked out in the parking lot tonight and saw my car smashed like a pancake, I would not immediately say, well, this car must never have had a creator because look at it, it's a wreck. I'd say, no, it looks like it's got some evidence of design, but it also looks like it has some evidence of damage. And that's exactly what the scriptures describe about the origins of the world, design and damage. They're there together. And it's exactly true about human life, about our human nature. We're designed, we're damaged. We're both. I was talking to a friend last night who used to be a school teacher, and he was just mentioning how he used to get troubled children, and he would get a folder with them, and he said for a while, he used to study that folder and try and figure out what this kid's been through and where they've been so he could help them. And he said after a while, it was so distracting, I couldn't really relate to this kid as a, as just honestly as a human being. So he said, I just stopped looking at the folders altogether. I just ignored the folders and just treated the kid as a human being. And that was good advice. My response as a pastor was, I agree with that. The reality is I look at everybody as having a folder. There's no kids that walk into the classroom without a folder, without a history, without some kind of damage. We are all broken people. You can't live in a broken world without being broken people. So I'm going to put up a couple tables on the screen, and I'm not expecting you to go writing all of these down. You can take pictures of them if you want. I'm going to mention a few things about them, but one of them has to do with our gender differences. This is one of the big factors as far as communication goes in marriage, one of the big challenges. The other one has to do with our personality differences. That God has made us all different on a spectrum between introvert and extrovert. And Romans 12, Paul tells us to assess ourselves, to see what measure of grace God has given to us before we go you know, trying to help the church, we better take a good long look at what God has created us to do, right? Here's the first one, gender differences. Now, just a little, it's, it's an interesting table, and it's one that you can have a lot of fun with talking with your spouse. But uh, how, do, how do men and women communicate differently? Well, first of all, their style of communication is different. Men are like journalists, and women are like novelists. What does that mean? Well, a journalist... I mean, if you've read the paper, you only have so many words to use, so you get right to the point, right? The headline kind of tells you everything you need. You're probably scrolling through social media. I didn't even read the articles. I saw the headline. Okay, I saw what happened. I read the headline. That's how guys communicate. So when your man comes home from work at night and you say, honey, how was your day? And you're expecting him to be a novelist and write you a story of every detail of what happened during the day, and he says, fine. That's the headline. Okay, it was fine. And it takes us, guys, because we're not all that quick, it takes us a while to learn this. No, our wives want to hear the story. So I, I, and it's not natural to us. It's not natural. So I have to constantly be reminding myself to, no, she wants to hear details. She wants to hear all the embarrassing things that all the other pastors here did during the day, right? So be careful, Eric. Look out, right? No, they, they, and, and women are like novelists, and maybe, guys, you've, 
you've wondered why it is that, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock rolls around at night, and she's just winding up. She wants to tell you about her entire day. And you're like, I just want to go to bed. I'm tired, right? We, we relay information in very different ways. That's why guys can get together, watch a sports game together, not say a word, and walk away and say, that was a good time. We really got to know each other. And ladies have to sit at the coffee shop, you know, like this with chin on the hand, looking at each other in the face and telling every detail of, did you know what Joey did the other day at school and so on? And it's got to be play by play by play, everything. And husbands are like, what happened? Did something burn down? Is, is, some, is there a car totaled? I just need to know the details so I can solve the problem. Which gets us to the next one. What is the goal between men and women? Men always want to solve things. And you've probably noticed this by now. And we don't understand why our wives just want to talk about it. And then they get upset when we try to solve it and say, Honey, it's easy. Just do this. Do you love me? Yeah, I'm trying to fix your problem so you'll be happy and then we'll be happy. Well, I'm not happy now. Right? And we wonder. We're confused. We don't know what's going on. And so, guys, we, we do have to take some time to maybe ask our wife, is this one of those solve-it situations, or is this just one where you want me to listen, right? What do men and women use, uh, use communication for? Well, guys use it for a means to an end. That's why we love to text, right? I personally just don't like phone calls. I don't like them. I only do them if I absolutely have to, but I don't like phone calls. I want to ask a question in as few words as possible because I have other things to do. Communication is a means to an end. I'm using it to get something done, whereas for ladies, it's an end in itself. We communicate because we like to communicate. We like to connect. We like to share. For men, it's shoulder to shoulder. That's the method. That's why men can go golfing and be shoulder to shoulder all day, or paintballing, or hunting, or whatever. And uh, you're not sitting face to face like the ladies do. We don't have to be looking at each other. We're not that good looking, right? No, we're shoulder to shoulder watching a game, whatever it is. That's how we communicate. The challenge for guys, listen, wives, if you, maybe you know this by now, maybe you're bewildered by this and you, don't, you think there's something wrong with your husband, but there are times when your husband just has to think about nothing. Has to. And actually does. So when you ask your husband, what are you thinking about? And he says nothing. Just don't assume that he's lying to you. He probably is not lying to you. He probably doesn't know what he's been thinking for the last 20 minutes. And he needs that once in a while. And meanwhile, our wives, guys, this took me a long time to figure out. Our wives are like Microsoft Windows. And there are windows open all the time. There could be 10 windows open at the same time going on. Your wife could be having a conversation with you and know every detail of what's going on with the fight between the kids downstairs. They just have antennas everywhere. Did you hear what so-and-so said in the, at the party tonight? No, I was talking to Joe. That's all I can do. I can't multitask. That's all I can do, right? And guys, our task, of course, is to close out as many of those windows as we possibly can in the, the, the brains of our, 
our wives, right? Close them down, get rid of them, because all that does is create anxiety on her part, and when she's anxious about those things, guess what? She's not thinking about you, right? And those windows are open all the time. They're just running, and it took me a while to learn that when my wife says, is that back door locked? And I would say things like, don't worry about it, honey, it's fine. Don't say that. Close the window. You know what that means? Go down and make sure the door is locked, right? And it's a way of expressing your love. So there's a challenge here between the two of us. We don't think the same way, and sometimes it's hard for us to follow our wives too because we can switch tracks so fast, and I'm not quite sure how we got from Mary to Jane, and there was no name change there, but suddenly the stories are, are different, right? Everything's connected, and for guys, it's like one track. That's all I can think about. If you're going to switch channels, you've got to tell me you're switching channels, or it's not going to work. One other thing that Angie and I had to figure out is uh, I used to work from home, and I had a home office, and I'd be in the middle of something, I'd be in the middle of studying, and uh, she would walk in the office and she would just start speaking about whatever it was. Could be a financial issue, could be an issue with the kids, and she would just start speaking about it. And it, take, it took me about a minute to kind of catch up to, sorry, what was that? What were you saying? Of course, and that's frustrating on her end, and she'd be saying, well, are you not listening to me? Why are you not listening to me? And over time, after talking it out, we had to realize that, you know, the best thing she could do was to walk in the office and say, is this a good time? And at least it just gives me that, that minute to kind of look up, acknowledge she's in the room and say, yeah, it is. Or say, yeah, I'm just in the middle of a thought right now. If I lose that, I won't remember where I was. Can you just give me a second? And, and it works. It works. Strange how these practical things happen when we understand our differences. Discouragement, guys, we shut down. And our wives don't understand that. Why did he stop talking to me? All I did was come in and talk about the fact we have no money in our bank account. He's not talking to me now. Is he mad at me? What did I do? No, he's discouraged. He's shutting down. He's trying to think it through. He's trying to process it. And uh, our, lady, uh, our, lady, our ladies, sorry, our wives, will express it without solving. We talk less. They talk more, Right? They want to express it. They want to communicate it. They want to, and of course, there's always emotion attached to that, which scares the wits out of us guys, doesn't it? I've had to learn again. That's normal. That's okay. Don't run. It's okay. Our response to frustration for guys, we can get very demeaning in our attitude if we feel threatened. You know, we'll back up. How could you say that to me? We'll be very defensive. We get into this fight or flight mode. Is this worth fighting about, or is this worth just turning and leaving? For ladies, response to frustration can be anger or become passive. And quite often it is to, ladies can tend and befriend, right? If there's a difference with someone, a friend or so on, or uh, some, some problem, some issue has come up relationally, they want to tend to it. They want to talk it through. They want to pursue it and so on. They want to befriend and, and maybe, you know, get a community of support and so on. And guys just go off to their wood shops and start working away, cutting wood, doing nothing, thinking about nothing, right? 
And we are more mental in our processing. That's just the way we are. And I've had to learn again to tell my wife, this, I'm just, I need some time to think about this. And quite often we have to say something practically like, well, how much time? Or whatever that might look like for you. And there should be a time limit given for that. For a felt need, guys, how many in the room would rather hear your wife say, I respect you with all my heart than to say, I love you with all my heart? Put your hands up. How many of you would rather hear respect from your wife? There's a few. Okay, I think if I'm honest, I would much rather, and I know that just fills me when I hear my wife show signs of respect for me. It's quite often why men will fall into adulterous affairs is because the wife whose basic need is for love and thinks that her husband's need is for love, you know, he comes home, she's got three kids all day, she's worn, she's stressed, and she's dumping the kids. You know, Johnny needs a diaper change. Can you please, why are you so late? You're late getting home from work and so on. And he's not sensing any respect and meanwhile, he's at work at the office all day, and the secretary looks up to him. He's so talented at what he does. He feels fulfilled there. He feels respected there. And before you know it, he's vulnerable to temptations. Men need respect. Women are looking for our love. That's why they want us to talk to them. That's why they want us to compliment them and care for them and protect them and so on. Uh, desire. <clears throat> Men just want clarity. Again, we're journalists. Just be clear, get to the point. For women, women want discovery. We want to kind of walk around the issue and discover all the different angles we can look at this, right? Well, um, <clears throat> the next table is our personality differences. I wanna notice these, because God made us all on this spectrum somewhere between introvert and extrovert. It took me a long time to realize this. I read a good book a few years ago on the subject of introversion. We live in a society that really, since, uh, who was it, Dale Carnegie, um, has really put extroversion up on a pedestal. You need to be magnetic. You need to have that flamboyant personality, that, that charismatic personality, that personality that just, you know, everyone is just kind of drawn to you. You walk in the room, you're the life of the party, and so on, and and that, that was the picture of success in the Western world, and it has been for decades now. And that's, you know, if you want to be successful, you have to get out there, you have to meet people, you have to, and so on. And there are people sitting here feeling guilty, like, oh, that's not me, I just, that's not that. Well, you need to make it natural to you, you need to work on that. And usually it's extroverts who are just, that comes natural to them. And uh, I didn't realize how different these personalities can be. Now, these are the opposite extremes. And we're all on this spectrum somewhere. You're gonna, you're gonna see per characteristics that you say, well, I've got a little bit of both, and that might be fine. Now, introverts are not always shy, but the way you know they're an introvert is how they re-energize. Do they re-energize alone, or do they re-energize around people? If you re-energize and get energy from being around people, you're probably more on the extroverted scale. If you need to get alone, and this is key to understand, if God made you this way, you need to have that alone time. You need to have that time uh, when it's just quiet. Now, 
just imagine you get two people into a marriage relationship. One is an introvert, one is an extrovert. One is energized around people. The other is energized sitting on the couch reading a book. Uh, you, you're going to have some difficulties. You're going to have some challenges. And if you don't realize that, you're never going to face those challenges. You're never going to work it out. Now, there are ways to work that out, obviously. Uh, but it is, there, there's a key to, to knowing exactly where you are on the scale. By the way, this is no excuse for saying, well, I'm an introvert, so I don't need to be friendly with anybody. That is not what this is saying. God made us all uh, in different ways. I think the best example of this in history, well, that I know of, the clearest one is the difference between uh, Rosa Parks and uh, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who were opposite ends of the spectrum, and both of them were instrumental in the civil rights movement. Rosa Parks, what did she do? She was just quietly refused to give up her seat on the bus. Throw me in jail. She had this quiet strength about her. She didn't want the media. She didn't want the hype. Meanwhile, Dr. Martin Luther King was like, all the front pages, in front of the cameras, and even after Rosa Parks' trial was finished and all of that was resolved, she just kind of went right back into her quiet life again. She wasn't seen, she wasn't heard from, she was perfectly content there. That's where she was happy, and meanwhile, Martin Luther King was at the opposite end. He's out in front of the people, he's in the news, he's on the headlines, and there's the whole difference between the two. Listen, it, God made them that way. God made them different, and that's okay. That's okay. I'm not going to go through all of these. Um, they are very helpful. They've been very helpful to me to kind of understand um, how I can serve God most effectively with the personality that he's given me. And if you're trying to work against your personality to serve God in a way he never gifted you to do, Romans 12 is basically saying you're not surrendered to God's will. Because that's the first thing Paul says after he says to lay your life down as a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable service. The next thing he says is basically assess yourself and see what measure of faith God has given to you. Which ways has he gifted you? And then take those gifts and serve the church with them. Serve the rest of humanity with them. So it's very important to understand this and to understand this about our spouse. These are all parts of the baggage that we carry and the ways we're going to interpret things. One thing to understand about the difference between introverts and extroverts is introverts are far more on the perfectionist side of things and tend to be far more self-righteous and judgmental. So guess what? They don't like to speak very quickly about anything until they've thought about it for a long time, until they've prepared for it. They don't want to say something that's wrong. And the challenge is, my wife just said this to me a few weeks ago. She says, I'd rather you say the wrong thing than nothing at all. <laughs> that's really convicting. But it's true. And on the extrovert side, we're generally, there's a little more of a magnetism towards conflict and uh, a little more of just standing up for, and speaking right away and more of a verbal thinker than a mental processor and so on, uh, they can say things without thinking about it and hurt their spouse very, very quickly and deeply and not even realize it. And all they're doing is just processing verbally. They haven't even come to a conclusion yet. They're just communicating. But, and we have this, the whole spectrum in our family with our kids. 
and we see this all the time with how they interact with each other and how they interact with us. We see it all the time. These dynamics come out. One might be a little more extroverted and can speak very quickly, and the other one takes it to heart very quickly because they're a little more on the introverted side. These are dynamics that come into the way we communicate in our communication cycle, and they affect us. All right, so manners of communication are influenced by what is in our baggage and how we were bent, how we were raised by our parents and by the community and how we were influenced in a broken world. Sin has entered the world and death so, through sin, and so death is spread to all men because all have sinned. So just remember something, by the way. This is not the final uh, sentence. This is not the end of the story. The gospel interrupts these cycles and helps us to overcome these things and to obey what God says in his word. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, well, what, that's what communication is. We can kind of see the challenges. What does it look like to communicate with the vertical focus that we were looking at last week? That vertical focus, when all of the relationships are subordinate to our relationship with God. What is that going to look like? Last week we talked about the characteristics of a vertical relationship. Repentance, forgiveness, bold love, faith, right? Expectant hope. All of those are going to be elements that we see in our relationships. Now, the key is the heart. The heart. Jesus says in Luke 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You know, one of the beauties of marriage is, you know, it's Gary Thomas that says, God did not make marriage to make us happy. He made marriage to make us holy. Do you know how he makes us holy through marriage? Well, first of all, he exposes the true condition of our heart. <laughs> I cannot tell you all the sin I had no idea was packed in here until I got married. All the selfishness, all the waywardness, all the impatience, all the irritability, all the arrogance, all the pride, is all just packed in here. And guess what? Being married to another fallible human being, it just all comes to the surface. Over time, it's still coming to the surface, by the way. Almost daily, probably daily. I may not always recognize it, but it's still coming to the surface all the time. Marriage exposes the true condition of our heart. And even though my heart is redeemed by Jesus Christ, there is still elements and debris in there that the Holy Spirit is continually just rearranging the furniture. How does he do it? He brings it to the surface and says, hey, buddy, you got a problem here. And uh, it comes to the surface. Now, a few things just to remember about the heart. Listen, if heart issues have already been exposed, please stop and address them. Confront them. Hey, I got an anger problem. Didn't notice it till I was married that anger just comes out of me. Almost uncontrollably. I didn't know it was there. Or I have a problem with running and hiding. I have a problem with avoidance. Your spouse needs to hear your heart. 
This is especially something that we as guys need to hear. Your spouse needs to hear your heart. Don't come home and be a journalist. Come home and be a novelist and don't just talk about all the trivial things of the day. Talk about your heart, where you're at in it all. And then ask your wife about her heart, heart issues. Not, honey, how's your heart? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying ask her questions that get to the root of how she's feeling about things, how she's been connecting with God through the day, how she's been connecting with others through the day, and so on. Well, how did that make you feel? And so on. We have to connect and hear each other and where we're at with our hearts. I'm frustrated. Or I'm in despair right now. And by the way, our marriages should be the safest place on earth to unload those things without judgment on the other side immediately. Sometimes as, as you know, God-loving people, we want to correct the wrong right away. It's like, honey, you're wrong. You, you shouldn't say that. That was very critical. You shouldn't say that about another person. No, they're just expressing how they feel. They probably already know that they shouldn't feel that way, but they do. And we should be a safe place for them to come and just unload that. I feel this way, right? Without cracking down right away. No, we need to shepherd the heart. We need to consider the other person's heart. Philippians 2, 3 tells us, Paul tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not just about what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, my perspective. It's about getting to the root of why my wife or my children are feeling and sensing the way they are, behaving the way they are. You may be speaking truth, but your heart determines the benefit of your words. If your heart's not right, it doesn't matter how much truth you're giving, it's not going to be effective and it's not going to glorify God. Words can be used to minister or to manipulate. So again, the, the condition of your heart. Why is it I'm saying this to my wife? Is it because I want my life to be easier? Honey, I, I, I really think you sleep in too much in the morning. Now, is that because I'm, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just picking a hypothetical right now. But if, uh, it, if I was saying that to my wife, would it, would it be because I'm concerned about her? Or maybe because I'm concerned about me? It's one of those issues. Again, am I ministering for the benefit of the other, like Philippians 2? Or am I manipulating for the benefit of myself? And sometimes those are really hard to detect between the two. Ministry or manipulation. Again, I already said this, your spouse's unkind words, again, this is a matter of the heart, your spouse's unkind words are never an excuse for retaliation. Never an excuse for retaliation. Because here's what happens. If your, wife, if your wife, your husband, your spouse attacks you, and it could be they're just feeling frustrated about something. It might not even be about you, but they attack you, they, they, or it feels like they're attacking you. And you turn around and lash back, or you turn around and throw something across the room. Does that justify, your, if, if it's your spouse, first of all, who would, yelled at you or whatever it was. How do you think they're going to respond to that? 
Do you think they're going to feel really bad about what they said because you turned around and threw something back? Oh, now I feel really bad about what I said. You really showed me. You really taught me a lesson there. No, they're going to feel validated. See? He is a jerk. He deserved me yelling at him. However, if you respond with words that are patient and kind and not irritable and not arrogant, not rude and so on, like 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you respond in that way, firm, you might say something like, you know what, I'll talk to you when your tone of voice is a little bit different and turn and walk out of the room. Well, how do you think they're going to respond now? You're like, yeah, I am out of line. That's what Scripture talks about, heaping coals of fire on your head, right? Don't return evil for evil. No, don't do that. It's never an excuse for retaliation. A heart must be marked with an attitude of forgiveness, and that attitude of forgiveness comes from the fact that we have been forgiven a far greater debt. It is God who convicts and changes your spouse's heart. We talked about this last week a little bit. You know, when, when we try to convict our spouse of sin, it doesn't go well. Ladies, it can sound like you're nagging. Trust me, that's how your man is, is taking it. That's how he's interpreting it. There she is again, trying to be my mother, right? Excuse me. <coughs> Pardon me. Men, you can sound demeaning. Controlling. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. All right, that's all about the heart. Now, I want to talk about conflict for just a few minutes before we move on, because we are going to have another discussion tonight with another couple. But before we do that, I want to look at a conflict that is necessary and rewarding. Did you know that? Fighting is not all bad. It's not all sinful. Oh, we had a fight. It's horrible. Should never happen. Well, yeah, in heaven it should never happen, but we're not in heaven yet. You put two fallible people, two sinful, selfish people in the same room, conflict is sure to follow. We don't always know the right way. We don't always know what's true. And if you meet a couple who claim after years of marriage that they've never had a fight, they're either lying or living in denial. Someone isn't speaking up. What does conflict do? I'm going to give you a few pointers here. First thing it does is produce holiness because it exposes our sinfulness. We've seen that already. Secondly, it forces us to develop a heart of habitual forgiveness. We have to. We can't navigate any other way. We'll never survive. Third, conflict helps get our attention to teach us valuable lessons. We wake up. Sometimes men need this. We think everything's fine. Our wife's in turmoil internally, and we don't even know it's happening. We're not aware. We don't sense it. Conflict helps get our attention to teach us valuable lessons. Fourth, conflict ensures that we make wise decisions as a couple. Wise decisions as a couple. It ensures back and forth, back and forth. We're trying to narrow it down. Iron is sharpening iron here. And fifth, conflict produces deeper intimacy with each other through sharing uncomfortable information. 
we actually get closer to each other. Because those things we didn't know our spouse was thinking, they come out. Sometimes it hurts. But sometimes it's needed. Sometimes the band-aid has to be ripped off. We need to see things about ourselves that our spouse just does not want to tell us. They don't want that uncomfortable conversation, but conflict allows for it, and what happens is we grow deeper in intimacy through it all. But the danger zones, very clearly what to avoid, first of all, is a critical spirit. Do not start sentences with things like, you always or you never, right? We're not going to start things that way. You always say that. You always tell the kids that. It's accusatory. You're accusing. Best way to approach a confrontation is to not accuse the other person of motives that they might or might not have had. But to, say, to approach it by saying things like, when you did such and such or when you said this, we were at the party the other night and you made a joke about my hair. I felt hurt. It really hurt me. What you're not doing is saying, you just want to humiliate me. You always humiliate me in public. That just creates defensiveness, which is the next thing. Criticism leading to defensiveness. We have an accusation that comes our way again. Don't retaliate with responding with another accusation or hurtful comment. I've watched this happen. I've watched it happen in small group discussions where couples just ignited and boom, one after the other, the accusations are flying back and forth and it's getting louder and more heated and the communication cycle is out of control. Don't get defensive. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But good listening means we have to hear what the other is saying and how the other is feeling. And even if it is an accusation that comes our way, we need to ask ourselves, where is it coming from? The third thing that it leads to, the danger zone, is contempt. Now this is even far more deep-seated than criticism because now we're at a level where we can hardly look at each other, we're rolling our eyes, we're sighing, we're shaking our head in condescension, there he goes again. Such a child. I don't know if you saw the video of Jada Smith this week that came out again where she was filming Will Smith and he was saying, I want you to ask me before you film me for social media. And she turns the camera to herself and says, see, I'm just dealing with, I forget what she said, silliness or ridiculousness or something like that, childishness totally humiliating him, and then it gets spread out on social media, that kind of thing. Listen, it happens with couples all the time. And one is just be demeaning the other. They're, at this point, the other is a joke. How did we go from being in love and infatuated and this person could do no wrong, and then 10 years later, seven years later usually, the seven-year itch, we're at the other end where we're saying things like, this person could do no right. There's absolutely nothing write about them anymore. I don't see anything right. Well, that can't be true. It might be that we are too focused on their sin and not enough on God's grace in their life. 
Now, this is even more serious and even, even more important if you are the Christian in the relationship and your spouse is not a Christian. Guess who has more responsibility to be forgiving and kind and loving and carrying out 1 Corinthians 13? If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have a duty to obey what he tells you. You also have the power in you to do it if you'll only trust him and surrender to him. These things, it's one thing to, to look at your spouse and understand this person is not a believer in Christ. They're still lost. I need to reach out to them. They drive me absolutely nuts. But they're lost and they need Jesus. And I have Jesus. And I can show Jesus to this individual because guess what Jesus told us to do? He didn't say love your spouse when your spouse is acting like a spouse. He said to love your enemy. That kind of cuts everything away in marriage. I, I can't love him anymore. Really? You can't love him as a spouse. You can't love him as a brother or sister in Christ. You can't love him as another human being. Well, guess what? Can you love him as an enemy? It's not a matter of whether you can or not. You're told to. And if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, you will love your spouse even as an enemy. That's how far it goes. That's what we're called to. The last one is stonewalling. At this point, communication is all but dead. Couples are living on separate sides of the house or maybe not in the house at all. They've stopped trying to understand or to be understood. It's the beginning of the end, apart from God's intervention and let me tell you, I know of so many stories, so many gospel, God-glorifying stories of how the gospel interrupted relationships like this and turned them right around. It happens over and over and over. Well, very quickly, how do we fight fair? Well, Ephesians 4, Paul gives us, he gave the Ephesians some hints at how to navigate conflict, how to navigate differences. He said, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That doesn't mean you have to resolve every conflict before you go to bed. What it does mean is you need to resolve your anger before you go to bed. Forgive. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I just want to give you a few points very quickly. And uh, these can be de developed further, but I'm just going to throw them out to you. And you can take them and reflect on them. The first one is approach through the gospel. Approach your spouse through the gospel. The gospel that says you're a sinner and so are they. The gospel that brings down defenses and gives a foundation for kindness because Christ has forgiven us, or God through Christ has forgiven us. It's actually what Paul did in Ephesians, 
In Ephesians 2, he talked about the fact they were saved by grace through faith. It wasn't their own doing. They had nothing to boast in. It was a gift from God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. It's the work of God in your life. It's the grace of God. We heard that on Sunday. Approach the issue through the gospel. Your spouse is a sinner. That shouldn't be a newsflash. It's true. They fail in many ways. That's true. They're being sanctified if they're Christians, but it's a slow process. That's all true. And so are you. So we approach through the gospel. Secondly, we learn to listen well. Again, that comes out. That has come out through this entire talk, Proverbs 25. The purpose, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. How? By listening, by asking good questions. They will draw it out. These are, again, if we were to work on one aspect of communication, I'd rather that you focused on how to listen rather than how to speak. To listen to what the other is saying. To listen to their heart. Third, rate the seriousness of the issue. Often one spouse or parent doesn't understand the level of seriousness that the other spouse or the child has for a situation. And if it gets brushed off and we move on and the spouse is left there saying, but that was serious to me. That's really important. I, I don't, I'm not going to have any closure until we actually talk this through. So tell your spouse how serious this is. Check your timing. Number four. Speak the truth in love. That means speaking truth when it will be received well. Check your timing. Pray without ceasing. Number five. Paul said in Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's how we need to approach conflict. That's how we need to approach communication. That's how we need to approach listening. Pray without ceasing. And again, that is a way to restore vertical communication. We're going to have a little break, 10 minutes again. <clears throat> Sorry. Allow me to get the frog out of here, whatever that is. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to sit down with another couple, my wife and I, and we're going to have a, hopefully, another profitable discussion like we did last week. So 10 minutes and then be back here as soon as you can. Well, we're back, and of course, on the communication side of things, you want to find a couple that can carry a big weight, right? So here we are. We have Derek and Jody with us. Yes. Very courageous people. So this, this should be good. I'm excited about this. And again, my wife Angela is here, and I wanted to ask Ange, uh, before anything else, when the last time was that we had a fight? Is it on? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, and who won, by the way? Um, I always win. No. <laughs> um, our last fight would have been last week. Yes, it was. Yeah. We win? We're on the same page? Did we, yeah. Yes. I, did we both win or did we both lose? I think both. We both lost a little bit. We both yeah. won. We did, and that's... Uh, that's when she made the profound statement, I wish you would say the wrong thing than nothing at all. 
So that's what fights produce. It was in love. It was. It was absolutely. I would say that it was, it was obviously unavoidable, but it was necessary and it was actually useful, very useful to our relationship, right? Yeah, I think it was, it was healing because really the surface issue of what we were fighting about was very surfacey. Yep. It went deeper, was just more of our, the way we communicate and mm -hmm. the way we don't communicate. Yes, we have cycles and ruts that we get into as well. Yeah, so Derek and Jody, welcome. Hello. And uh, want to start by just asking you both, like, how long you've been married, how you met, how you fell in love. Um, how far back are we going here? 1996. Okay. Uh, that's, that's when we first met. And it was love at first sight, of course, for yes. me. <laughs> how about you, Jody? Is that true? No. <laughs> no I, had, I had to trick her. <laughs> uh, and we got married in 2000. Yeah. We've been married this, this year will be, will be 22 years. Yeah. That was a good year to get married. We got married it that was. year too. Easy to remember. That's why we picked it <laughs> for me. <laughs> it's easy to remember, you know. I don't, yeah. don't have to worry too much about how long have I been married. <laughs> the math is easy. Yeah. Good. How did you meet? Uh, in the middle of winter, playing baseball. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. So I played indoor baseball at the uh, one of the golf domes, and uh, we were playing an all-night tournament, and uh, Jody and her sister came and. Uh, I saw her from across the room, and, <laughs> and I, did, I saw him playing third base, and I was just like, "Who is that?" <laughs> I was with the yeah, we were with friends, so we uh, just hung around the same mm -hmm. kind of social group, so we knew each other for about probably over a year before we actually yep. started dating, and then we dated for two years and nine months, and then we got married. Were you Christians when you got married? Were you Christians leading up to this? Uh, where were you at spiritually? Yes. Uh, I wasn't as good at it then as I am now. <laughs> um, so I was baptized uh, when, when I was about seven years old. Uh, my dad led me to Christ, and, and probably after about 15 or 16 years old, I uh, began working, and uh, I had poor direction as a young adult, and I was allowed to drift away, and um, although I always knew I was a Christian, I, I, didn't, I didn't live it mm -hmm. uh, as well as I, certainly as well as I could, if at all. Sure. So I, I was always, I would say, believed in God. I became a Christian, actually I know um, the exact moment, but the mm -hmm. relationship I was in before I met Derek, that is when I became a Christian. I was actually engaged to somebody else. Okay. And his um, family was amazing. His parents were the, still the Christian couple that I always remember. And that's how I got introduced to Christ and have a relationship with them. So coming out of that relationship though, after that guy and I broke up, which was completely amicable, he actually comes to our church with his wife and their child and they've met and it, there's nothing weird. We just knew that we were not the one that we sh knew we should not marry each other. Um, so at that point, I was a Christian before I met Derek. Uh, I absolutely was not 
would I make it like three minutes? That's <laughs> all right. Not, That's sorry, all right. I'm sorry, guys. We I'm, expect it. I'm yeah. ready. Don't. It's emotional. But uh, yeah, I was not acting like it. Mm -hmm. I certainly could have been tremendously stronger mm -hmm. and been a better partner for him. Sure. So I would say initially our marriage was not Christ-centered mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And it led to tremendous issues. Mm -hmm. I think that was your next question, right? Yeah, I was just going to say that that leads perfectly. So your relationship, you're alluding to, has not been flawless. So you have firsthand experience in that breakdown in communication. Would you care to share any maybe examples of, of that? I'll just go. Okay. <laughs> uh, it feels weird actually talking this way, not to you guys, so I apologize if it seems like I'm not speaking yeah, at you guys, but you can tell for them. you guys. Okay. Yeah, sure. um, yeah, early in our relationship, we, my, both of my parents have been married three times. Um, my parents also are divorced. Yeah. Oh yeah, they got divorced in between. <laughs> but yeah, so they, we have not had good examples. Um, we just knew when we got together, we were not gonna break up no matter what. That was our goal. That was our goal without having a Christ-centered marriage. Um, so it didn't work out so well. Um, early on, we, we, we definitely spent a lot of time. We had a good group of friends. We were very active in sports. Derek had like lots of hobbies. Um, he worked a lot, and he worked a lot out of town, and that absolutely took a toll on our marriage. Um, uh, there, it was just like Andrew was saying, Derek wouldn't have his foot in the door, and I was bombarding him with questions, or what's going on, tell me everything, you know what I mean? And he would always just say, let me get my other foot in the door, let me have something to eat, <laughs> then we'll talk about the day. But him being gone for long stretches of time for our marriage was very, very difficult. We don't have any children. Um, thankfully, I do have nieces and nephews that um, we're very close to, and thankfully, um, their parents allowed me to spend a lot of time with them, which I'm very, very grateful for, but in terms of our marriage, it wasn't good. It took me away from him, and um, kind of his hobbies that maybe were more, you know, he hunts and he fishes, which I like fishing, but he would be able to, he would just go do those things and it built up a lot of resentment toward him. Um, I didn't want to be a nagging wife. We kept, I kept. Um, I kept everything inside. And I failed to recognize that way too often. And uh, so when it finally came out, it was pretty bad. Um, I, did ha I did turn to another man. I did um, kiss another man. At the seven-year itch that you speak of. Um, it was very difficult to forgive myself and I did not. So, um, you know, we, we, 
we tried. We still were not going to a church regularly. We were not hanging around with Christian people. Um, we didn't know how to repair what was wrong. Um, so, you know, a couple more years pass, and seven years later, um, I had an emotional affair. which was way worse. By far. Yeah, the, um, For both of us. Yeah, the betrayal was, because it wasn't a moment, it was a long time. Um, I didn't know how to fix it. We didn't know how to fix it. And uh, I sought counseling. I couldn't find the right counselor, but once I went to a Christian lady as a counselor, that started to change everything. And. Through all of it, the thing is, he refused to let me leave. He refused to let me think about leaving. Uh, he dove into learning how to be a better husband, um, reading a lot. Just he, he turned into a different man also, I would say. Um, I think that... I got put to the top of the list, which I didn't feel for a long time. Um, it took that for me to recognize. Yeah, I woke up. My, my own selfish behavior, but also the things that I was neglecting. These things don't happen when things are great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we then. We were already attending what was Southwood then, but we really started to get involved. And until we got involved in a life group, we were just kind of going through the motions, coming on Sunday, not getting involved. So I would say the last close to eight years now, we have been involved in our church and it has helped tremendously. We are in a life group, we're life group leaders. We are the directors of Kids Club. We are, try to just be involved, involved as we can and, and welcome people. and. When we were asked to do this, it was without a question, of course. We will, any way we can help anybody, we would love to do that. But all those things that Jody just mentioned are not the things that repaired our marriage. We do those things because of what we learned. And um, some of the best advice we got was the triangle where I'm here and she's here and God is here. And the closer you get to God, the closer you get together. And um, I, got, I got some very good advice from inside this church. And uh, I, I, would, I would spend a lot of Sundays, I, like she said, I like to fish and hunt ducks and do all guy stuff. But I would neglect church for that. And there, there's no excuse for that. My priorities were out of whack and... When your wife and God are not your priority, you will lose them. So to follow up on that, because um, that's a lot to think about, what, and, and you mentioned that wasn't what brought you back together, the, the triangle, the vertical focus. Um, how did you get back to communicating? Because I know, Jody, you mentioned that you held a lot of things inside. So at some point, those things had to come out. Was, was it Derek that became a safe place, or how did that come out? 
How, how did you share? How did you begin to communicate? I think Derek became the king of research. <laughs> okay. And so the more I talked to people, the more I realized we are not special. None of what we are going through is unique. Yeah. Although I felt like I was the only person on earth sometimes, I felt so alone. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> it, it's one of the most common things in the world. When people are yeah. alone and helpless and hurting, that's when you'll see them turn to God. Even the, the biggest atheist in the world, when he's yeah. desperate, will start praying. Yeah. And that's what I did. Mm. That's where it started. So when he started to do that, obviously I wanted to do that too. And when we started to do it together, which we never had, we do it every single day now. When mm -hmm. we're leaving for whatever reason, there's so many small things that we started doing. And yeah, studying together, praying together, just really looking at what our relationship with Christ looked like because it wasn't good before. It, it was, I don't wanna say fake, but it, yeah. <laughs> it was a joke. Yeah. So yeah. now that each of us has a stronger relationship with God, it makes, or it leads us to have a strong, stronger relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. So much more easily. Yeah, yeah. and so yes, Derek was so patient and, you know, telling him things that I had never told anybody and him just understanding and supporting me and accepting that was okay. Um, that made our communication a lot easier that it, it just felt so weird that somebody could <laughs> love me that much after all the things that I did. I know that, you know how you don't feel worthy of God's love? Mm. Like sometimes I don't feel like I do now. Well, some no. <laughs> still, well, some days I still don't. Like, Depends I on just the day. Feel like, why? I cannot believe he he mm. picked me. He picked me. Yeah. See, I tricked her. I'm I'm the winner in this deal. <laughs> I'm the lucky one. That is a powerful testimony. Huge and praise God. Right. Absolutely. To God be the glory for that. Uh, personality differences, I went through them fairly quickly tonight because of time. <laughs> Are you on separate sides of that scale, introvert, extrovert, in, or wherever you are, how has that played into the way you communicate with each other? Was that part of the difficulty in the beginning? Absolutely. Um. Where are you both on that scale, by the way? I think we both have both sides of it. I know okay. I do. I'm on both sure. sides in some categories. Yep. I absolutely thought I was an extrovert, and I was reading that, and I thought, oh, just because I'm loud. <laughs> I thought, oh, I might actually be more of an introvert than I thought, because I have, or I, or I changed, because I really like being alone now. I didn't used to. I used sure. to, when I was younger, I liked chaos and kids all over, you know what I mean? And yes. now I'm just like, woo just need some alone time. So um, we are definitely different people. The man-woman thing, uh, I right think on. In a, comp in a complimentary <laughs> way. Yeah, sure. yeah. And yeah. being married a long time, you learn a lot about each other and the best way to communicate and when to not communicate and just let him have some peace for a little bit before you lay into one. <laughs> but I would say now, too, like I said, I held everything in. 
well, guess what? It's all out there now. Yeah. <laughs> Every little thing I want to talk about, we're talking about. We've, we've never been shouters. Mm -mm. Even in the, the, the darkest days, we've never mm -hmm. said things you can't unsay. We were, we were thankfully very careful about that. Um, it, it, I'm sure everybody knows how easy that would be, mm -hmm. and uh, we were fortunate enough to, I mean, that was part of the, <laughs> the king of research, finding that out. Be careful sure. that you don't, when you're going through that, don't say things you can't unsay and right. make things worse, because right. it will. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, we also learned that a lot of people think that they fall out of love and I can tell you by experience, that's nonsense. Mm. It's not an adjective, it's a verb. If you're not in love, be in love. If you don't think you love her, love her. Yes. Do the things that tricked her into dating you in the first place. That's, that's <laughs> biblical. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, it's not a trick, but um, in, in all seriousness, um, your, your dating life never ends. Mm -hmm. um, you must go out of your way to express love for each other every day. So Andrew um, brought up personality differences, and you guys kind of hinted at gender differences. Do you have anything like maybe more specific where it's like stark between as a woman and a man, like communication, how that's like you've had to work through those maybe black and white differences that you may have? Um, I am an interrupter. You're lucky you're getting through your questions right now. <laughs> I am a huge interrupter. I know I get it from my mom. I, our family is uh, loud and, and tends not to be good listeners, yet you want that from the other person. So I've had to be, try to let him talk a little, because he is definitely more open with uh, his emotions and everything right now, or since, Oh, well, for a while. That's why I let her go first. Yes. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I have to learn to um, just, just be patient. I am not, as you can tell as I'm fumbling over my words, perfect example. <laughs> I just fumble over my words. My mouth goes faster than my brain, right? <laughs> so sometimes things, or my brain, I don't know which, but... Um, yeah, I just can't say things clearly sometimes, and Derek has had to learn to deal with that. Derek is very, very smart also. He's very, he knows how to get his point across. He means what he's going to say. I don't know, he's, what he says, he means it, and he's going to do it without question. And so I know when he says something, that is what is going to happen. Um, I have had to learn how to be a submissive wife, which is an ongoing project. <laughs> I really have had to have, have a lot of help actually from a lot of women with that, and it's still something that um, I'm learning how to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I gotta ask you, Derek, are you more of a verbal processor or a mental processor? Mental. It takes your I, will, time. I will process it first, organize my thoughts. Yeah. 
When it comes to an argument, I'm more of more like a lawyer. <laughs> I prepare my case first and then present it. <laughs> um, Jody, does that drive you nuts? Well, he's or always right, it? and this is not a joke. <laughs> like he's always right. Always. Does that drive you nuts? Not anymore, because I'm just like, just ask Derek. He knows the answer. I don't, you know. He's very, he's very, very smart, and I appreciate that so much. Um, yeah, I look to him so much more than I did. Uh, I was just used to being an independent woman on my own and to have to turn that over to somebody and let somebody else lead. I am usually the leader in a situation and it, that is very difficult and has been very difficult for, to let him lead me. Sure. And, uh, but now I have no problem. No, it, right? Hmm. <laughs> problem at all. As I said, it's an ongoing. Some of these, we'll get out the syllabus. Yes. Some of these can be synonymed as bossy. Or... Bossy, yes. Yeah, I, I would say I. Um, You're a good manager. Look to you, I look to you more. I would say that, right? I look yes. to you more than I used to, for sure. Especially in the the bigger issues. That's really what it comes down to: is submitting, not just to your husband, but submitting to the Lord, right? Like both of us have a role to play. I know we're going to talk about this more in a few weeks with the leadership, but that role is very difficult because between me and God to play that role properly and obey him, right, in that role, which is tough. Um, looking back, even now, what would you say are some of the greatest challenges that the two of you face in communicating in a healthy way? Do you still have struggles? What do those struggles look like? Or are you pretty much like, we had to go through all of those bumps along the way to get us to where we are now. What would you say? I would say we'd had to go through that. Um, the, the beautiful thing is we learned way more than we ever thought we knew about forgiveness and what forgiveness really means. Anybody can just say it. Um, you are the only one who will know that you have forgiven either yourself or the person who has wronged you. Um, and when you have, you will know it. If you're just saying it and hoping it's true, it's not. Um, that was some of the research that I did. And uh, that <clears throat> being able to articulate that to Jody so that she could forgive herself was the biggest hurdle that we ever jumped. And once it happened, if, if a good marriage, the strength level is here, like a regular unencumbered marriage, if the strength level is here, you, you jump right to here. Okay. I mean, con defeating a, a problem as big as that, if you, if you do it with the help of God, you will get so much strength out of it. Mm -hmm. It made us want to help every person that we knew had a problem, and we have done that. Yeah. Praise God, we have been able to share that experience with a lot of people. Not quite this publicly, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, we received help, and we're grateful for it, and um, couldn't wait to share that experience with other people. So, I, I want to dig down a little bit deeper on that. Where did you find that strength of the basis or to, to be able to forgive on that level? Where did from, that come from? From God, no question about it. 
Mm. Yeah, I just couldn't believe that, <laughs> again, A, he picked me, B, he wanted to stay with me twice after I really, really tried to ruin our marriage. It was crazy to me and, but again, it was just, it had to be like an individual, I wanna say like revolution or something within myself. Like I just needed to forgive myself and accept what had happened and why it happened and let's move forward and how can we make us stronger. And I know I've said it to you guys before, but we were hanging some days by a thread. Yeah. Oops. Mm -hmm. A thread. And, but we had it. We had our thread. We weren't, you know, once I decided to, I had to decide, okay, I'm staying because, again, I, I tried to leave and he just would not give up on me. Um, there was many a silent night. We don't, like mm -hmm. I said, we don't have any kids. Many a silent night just sitting on the couch watching reruns of something and uh, just, just hanging by a thread and... I remember laying there at night. Just feel, <clears throat> felt like I was gonna die. Yeah, isolated. So I had to forgive myself for what I did and how I wronged him and once I did that, and I, you had, I had to choose to be better and to hold myself more personally accountable, knowing, though, that as my relationship with God got stronger, he was there with me, and that is all I needed. That is all yeah. I, I need. That's, yeah. that's it. That's all I need. He's always here. He sees. He hears. He knows everything that I do, so I'm accountable to him. And really he is Derek is second and so I'm more importantly trying to I don't want to say impress but impress God like and just oh, I just hold on to him so tight every day because the memory of what we've been through will never go away but it just makes us stronger and absolutely yeah I just say we, we were holding by a thread but I said now we're like big rope that like a huge ship has <laughs> that's how I feel we're just like so strong and there's it's so comforting to know that no matter what comes up we'll be fine yeah you know we're the last two years obviously have not been easy for anybody it hasn't been easy for us either but having one another and being able to yeah. support one another and you know we each have bad days and we we get through it and it's because we have one another and it's because we we have to have God, you, you have to have God in the center of your marriage. You, you, you can't do it. Without God, absolutely not. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is there's two, there's two dimensions to forgiveness, right? There's the horizontal dimension between the two of you, but there's the vertical dimension, which is more important that our forgiveness to each other is based on God's forgiveness toward us, right? Mm -hmm. That's the basis of it, that's good. Okay, so I'd be thinking of a recent conflict, and Jody, you alluded to that previously, maybe earlier on in your marriage, you were a stuffer. Um, now maybe a little bit more towards spewing, maybe. I'm sorry, I actually didn't hear what you said. I was a what? <laughs> a stuffer. A stuffer. Like you heard the term stuff. stuffers and yes. spewers? Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I'm just thinking the conflict that Andrew and I had. I definitely am more of a spewer. I would have said the same thing. I would have stuffed <clears throat> earlier in our marriage. Um, I've learned to speak some of those feelings and then unfortunately for Andrew, it's just spews out. So how has that played into the way that you deal with conflict, the way you naturally either tend to spew or stuff, how does that play into your conflict? Like, how do you work through that? I think that for me, I prioritize what I think is an issue. There's things that I, I don't need to tell him or <laughs> make a big deal out of every little thing. We just need to focus on the important things and discuss those and work through those conflicts. Um, well, I, I think we still talk about all of them. <laughs> but no, but some things can some wait. Things there, there's definitely a priority yeah, level there. Like, and, oh, no, uh, we, don't, we don't need to be talking about this. I think taking the time to consider um, how, how we both feel and what the other point of view is, is something we didn't always do before, and we always do it now. And that is just a level of maturity that we just didn't have before. So let's think through a tough situation. I don't know what this scenario would be for you two. I know for us recently, just trying to navigate big decisions about moving our family has been um, stressful and a uh, lot of difficult discussions come out of that. But so whatever that is for the two of you, it's inevitable you're going to come across points in life where you have to make big decisions that have huge impact for your future, whatever that might be. How do the two of you discuss those um, in a healthy way, the tough issues, the disagreements um, that you might have now, as opposed to how you did it before, but how do you navigate that in a way that both of you are putting everything on the table? Um, and navigating those tough issues and coming to a conclusion of some kind? I would say uh, for me, I'm not afraid to say anything now. I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm not trying to pretend our marriage is perfect anymore. Mm -hmm. So if something needs to be talked about, we're talking about it. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter how long it takes. We're, it, it's going to be happening. Um, yeah, I'm just not afraid because I know he's, he's not leaving. No matter what, I have done the worst thing that I can possibly do. And so it, it doesn't matter what I, what I say or what I do or how, how I feel about something. He is sticking with me. Keep in mind, we don't have children, so I don't think... We have a lot less... We've issues. avoided many <laughs> issues because of that. No, we did, yes. we did raise a child and that, you know, so we went through some sure. of that. We, we sure. helped to raise one of our nephews and uh, so it's, we're not completely child-free, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um, it, that wasn't as difficult as, as, as normal. But um, I know for me, um, we've matured into a way that we can put all of the discussion on the table and I, I tend to play a role where I will arrange the building blocks in a way that we can both 
deal with it and come to a conclusion together. But the difference is now that I look at it as the two of us are one person trying to figure this out That's together. Good. And whereas before it was a negotiation from one to the other, mm -hmm. and there was a, a, for lack of a better word, a winner. Yeah. And not necessarily a loser, but, yeah. um, and now it's, it doesn't seem that way to me. Um, I, I, I look at us as one when trying to figure out these issues. So you've, um, you've spoken about this very, like, um, intimately, but maybe with the focus on the gospel, how has that changed your relationship and how you communicate with each other? Well, I think that before when we talked about anything, like, we didn't even consider talking about any scriptures or biblically, it, it just wasn't part of how we communicated. It wasn't part of how we made decisions. And now it absolutely is. Yeah, Ev yeah. Everything we do, everything we talk about, whenever we wanna discuss anything, we, we definitely bring it back to, to, to the Bible. Absolutely. Would you say that's the game changer in the whole picture of what we're trying to say tonight? There is absolutely no question about that. It's not a 10-step process. It is not. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, one thing that I was trying to convey last week is the fact that we're not doing this series to solve your problems, right? This is not going to be a how-to, you know, have a wonderful marriage in six weeks or whatever it is, right? It's... Yeah. The gospel transforms us, right? Would you say that's totally been what has turned your world upside down? Completely. There's no question about it. Absolutely. When we were hanging by a thread, I went to leave for work one morning, and I just took her by the hands, and nose to nose, we just prayed out loud. And I had, even that day, hanging from a thread, I had a great day. I came home for one of the first times not wondering, is she still going to be there when I get home? Mm -hmm. wow. um, and we've done it every day since, <laughs> every single day. Wow. And uh, without that, I don't know that we would have made it. I don't know if I hadn't made that decision that day. Uh, and it, it, it's difficult, you know, when you're hurting and you're vulnerable, it's difficult. Yeah. Just, just like asking for help. If, if you're struggling, ask a Christian couple for help. Mm. Um, but you have to do it knowing. <laughs> One of the best pieces of advice I got was the first person I asked for help said, just know I can't save your marriage. Only you can. And that was 100% true. But knowing that is what got me in gear and got me to step up my game sure. and, and take responsibility for, for what I allowed to happen. And I think that when we're looking for information, we're looking on different websites now. We're looking at different texts. We're looking in a different book now mm. than we did before. We don't okay. need, like you said, we don't need self-help books. We just need the Bible. And we need people to, to speak into our life. And it, when we have a problem, we just put it out there. Let's fix it. And let's move on. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. And that's needed in the church today because there seems to be a lot of Christian psychobabble when what we need is Scripture, yeah. God's truth. That's good. Uh, 
let's talk about reconciliation for a couple minutes here. Um, we read from Ephesians 4 tonight, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, and so on. If you are in a disagreement, you're navigating things, maybe it's over multiple days, how do you stay reconciled, or how do you reconcile your differences? How do you come back together again? Um, you've kind of talked about forgiveness. Um, how do you deal with anger at this point? Do you ever go to bed angry? Um, that is the one piece of Scripture we knew before we got married, and we've, we've been good about it. We've maybe not resolved the issue, but definitely the anger. Mm. Um, so what does that look like in a conversation before you go to bed at night and you're not agreed what does that look like? What Some, would you say to each sometimes other? Sometimes it looks late at night, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's not the same every time. So to, to articulate sure. it perfectly is difficult, but uh, the, there, we, we will always um, at least agree uh, to discuss it later um, not that that doesn't really happen all that often, but mm -hmm. we will always agree that if we can't resolve it before we go to bed, that um, we will make up mm. and um, agree that we are not angry. Yeah. Um, but that's not real if you're, not, if you're still angry. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can't trick yourself into doing it. You actually have to release it, and it, forgiveness yeah. is the only way. Mm -hmm. That's good. It helps that we are always cautious about what we say to each other. Uh, you, can't, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, so always be careful what you say. And again, we have the luxury of it just being us two in our home. We don't have to worry about getting the kids to bed, making yeah. lunches, and doing what parents do. Right now, it is just the two of us, so if we need to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning, we're staying up till 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, yeah, and sometimes... <laughs> We, we, we just know that we're going to resolve it, and we are going to figure it out. Whether it takes, you know, an hour or a week, we'll, we'll figure it out, and mm -hmm. it'll be okay. It's Can't good. give up. Right. Okay, so between the two of you, tell us what it looks like to be loved or respected by the other. So Andrew talked about tonight the felt need of women is to be loved and for men to be respected. So Jody, what does it look like to be loved by Derek? And then, mm -hmm. what does he do that meaningfully expresses that to you? Well, it is amazing to be loved by him. Uh, he de he's so different now. <laughs> he's, just, he's just a lot different now. He's much more um, considerate. Oh, wow, I have so much going through my head that I want to get out, but see what happens? <laughs> um, like I said, I'm definitely the priority now. By the way, guys, take note of this, okay? <laughs> Just listen to this. It's, this is it's for you. It's a lot of actual <laughs> little things. And I specifically remember one time we were getting ready to go to church, and it was the silliest thing, but he made me a hot chocolate. It was like, this is what I can do to just show you that I love you. One little thing. And I said, are you seriously going to do this for the rest of your life? Like, come on, you've never made me a hot chocolate in like 14 years. This is what's happening. And... You know what it is? It's the, it's the continuation. It, it's, it wasn't just like, mm. I'll just do it till things are okay. It was not a Band-Aid. Yeah, was it a Band-Aid? Mm. We fixed our marriage. Uh, what does it feel like to be loved? It's, it's just awesome. Like, I don't know, we're very affectionate, so we kiss a lot, we hug a lot. Um, like praying a lot mm -hmm. together. It makes me feel close. It makes yeah. me 
feel loved that we're sharing that. Um, little things like when he, he comes home or when I come home, we stop what we're doing, we go to the door, and we welcome each other. Um, like I said, before we leave, we always make sure we say goodbye, we say I love you a lot, we, we text during the day or talk during the day, you know, even if it's just a little heart emoji or whatever, it's, it just, all those little things just help me feel loved by him. Um, he's just really good at it now. So if you need advice, I would go to him. <laughs> Derek, what about you? How do you feel most respected by Jody? What does she do that sends that respect <laughs> message to you? Well, that was a good example of it. Right there. <laughs> yes. yes. You just saw it. Uh, she is full of acts of kindness and acts of service mm -hmm. and affection. And um, she, she's constantly bragging on me. I don't deserve it. I know that. But um, she, she's, Jody is blindly kind. Um, it doesn't matter. Just, just when I see her acting that way um, is sort of a, I don't, it's hard to say that it's an act of respect towards me because I don't know for sure that it is, but I feel that way. Mm -hmm. um, when we do things literally like this, it, it makes me know that she holds our marriage up high yeah. and that it's a thing of great value to her as it is for me. Um, and that... Uh, yeah, she, she, she's just full of, of acts of, of kindness is a great show of respect yeah. to me. Like she's, um, she's all about the acts of service. and It's difficult to articulate. Sure. But there, there's one specific thing that she does that I can't, I couldn't, if I was an artist, I couldn't paint it on a picture. But she has this look every once in a while. Yeah. And it's the kind of look that you can't describe, but you know it when you see it. And it, it stops me in my tracks. And it, it makes me feel like that I chose correctly <laughs> back yeah. then and that what I've worked for is, what we have worked for is, is completely worthwhile. I think you just described the power of nonverbal communication. Yeah. Absolutely. Can right. I just say one more thing? Yes. So what, when I brought up that we did not have a good example in any way, shape or form, of how to be married. And that was really hard because we legitimately had no idea how to resolve conflict and how to communicate because my example was just leave because that is what both of my parents did many, many times. The number of mother figures in front of me in my life just was, was, was constantly changing. So my understanding was when there's a problem, you just leave. So yeah. to have somebody say no, it was foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And I said to him one time, I just don't know how to be married. I have no idea yeah. how to be married. So we figured it out together, I would say. that that's. Uh... I, I did have a piece of knowledge that was handy. <laughs> I'm glad that I knew it. But if you are unhappy, if you're unhappy in your marriage, especially if you can't figure out why, just know that you, if you leave and get married again, you are going to have the exact mm -hmm. same problem. The, the problem is not your spouse. Yes. Um, 
like I said, love is a verb. If you're not in love, you're not doing it right. Um, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you think that it's someone else's job to make you happy, you're incorrect. You're just not, yeah. you're not looking to God. Um, and reach out for help. If, you're, if anybody who can hear this is in trouble, reach out for help. It will shock you how non-unique your problems are. And that goes back to what Gary Thomas has said, that marriage is not about making us happy. That's the byproduct. But marriage is about making us holy. And if we run out of it, we're running away from God's program to sanctify us, right? Um, And the the ultimate result of holiness is happiness, because then we're completely satisfied in Christ. He's everything to us. So thank you for joining us tonight. And thank thank you you for sharing what a powerful testimony.